Look, staying healthy isn't easy. Watching your diet, hitting the gym, avoiding stress. But a good night's rest helps boost your overall health and wellness. And it couldn't be easier. The new Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed is the only bed that effortlessly adjusts and responds to both of you. The result? You wake up ready for anything. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. During our lowest prices of the season, the new Queen Sleep Number 360 C2 Smart Bed is only $8.99. Only for a limited time. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. Guys, do you want to lose weight fast? Have more energy and improve your health? Now you can with Nutrisystem for men. Get delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, even snacks and shakes delivered right to your door. All delivered for free. It's easy to follow and you'll see results in your first week. Go to Nutrisystem.com meal now and get 50% off everything. And with their new premium meals, guys get bigger, bolder meals with up to 30 grams of protein and 25% more calories to keep you feeling full and satisfied as you drop the pounds. Just go to Nutrisystem.com slash meal right now and get 50% off. You heard me right. Go to Nutrisystem.com slash meal right now and get 50% off everything. Forget about takeout and fast food. Nutrisystem for men is real food and real simple. It's all planned out and delivered right to your front door. Don't wait. This special offer will not last forever. Just go to Nutrisystem.com slash meal right now and get 50% off. Go to Nutrisystem.com slash meal. Because it has all gone too far. All of it. Joe DeGeneva today asked for Chris Krebs, a patriot who ran CISA, to be shot. A 20-something tech in Gwinnett County today has death threats and a noose put out saying he should be hung for treason because he was transferring a report on batches from an EMS to a county computer so he could read it. It has to stop. Mr. President, you have not condemned these actions or this language. Senators, you have not condemned this language or these actions. This has to stop. We need you to step up, and if you're going to take a position of leadership, show some. My boss, Secretary Raffensperger, his address is out there. They have people doing caravans around their house. They've had people come onto their property. Trisha, his wife of 40 years, is getting sexualized threats through her cell phone. It has to stop. This is elections. This is the backbone of democracy. And all of you who have not said a damn word are complicit in this. This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa podcast. It was only a matter of time before the Trump campaign lost control of the monster it created by claiming widespread voter fraud and aligning themselves with the darker corners of the internet conspiracy machine. In a wild presser Wednesday afternoon from Georgia, just moments before President Trump addressed the nation on Facebook with his own unsubstantiated crazy bullshit, Celebrity lawyer Lynn Wood and Sydney released the Kraken Powell were revving up a crowd of stop the steal lunatics. Release the Kraken. 
Unfortunately for the GOP, what they're peddling threatens to poison the GOP's chances in January's runoff election. What is encouraging Republicans to boycott the upcoming Senate runoff elections unless the governor, Republican Brian Kemp, called a special legislative session to investigate the supposed conspiracies of wrongdoing? Do not be fooled twice. This is Georgia. We ain't dumb. We're not going to go vote on January 5th in another machine made by China. You're not going to fool Georgians again. If Kelly Loeffler wants your vote, if David Perdue wants your vote, they've got to earn it. This follows weeks of baseless charges from Sidney Powell that Kemp and Secretary of State Ben Raffensperger, both staunch Trump allies, by the way, of accepting bribes from Dominion, the voting software company baselessly accused of switching millions of votes from Trump to Biden. Oh, absolutely. And it's uh, it's been uh, organized and, and conducted with the help of Silicon Valley people, the, the big tech companies, the social media companies, and even the media companies and I'm going to release the Kraken. The whole tale is convoluted and crazy and not really worth explaining, as it makes absolutely no sense and is something a paranoid college student dreams up on three hits of high-powered acid. It's all rigged, dude. The world, we're just living in someone else's computer simulation. We're being controlled by George Soros, Colonel Sanders, and the kid from Webster. All you need to know is that it has the potential to suppress Republican turnout as voters become increasingly skeptical of the election process. If elections are rigged, the logic goes, why bother? And why reward people who supposedly haven't stood up enough for Trump's election fight? The Washington Post hypothesized that people will simply throw up their hands, either because they don't trust their election system, or because they view the likes of Purdue and Leffler as meek warriors on Trump's behalf. Kemp is our governor, and we want our governor to man up and, and take the steps to have these, these ballots checked, the envelopes checked against the registration, and he won't. And, um, to grow a pair in America means to grow a pair of testicles. Lynn Wood, pacing the podium like a Bible Belt preacher, excoriated the candidates, shouting, they have not earned your vote. Wood shouted while calling for an election boycott. Don't you give in to them. Why would you go back and vote in another rigged election? For God's sakes, fix it. You got to fix it. We're going to send a message from Wills Park in Alpharetta, Georgia to the state capitol in the Golden Dome of Georgia to the tin roof of the governor's mansion of Georgia we're going to send them a message and the message is this it's 1776 in America again and you're not going to take our freedom we're going to fight for our liberty we're going to send that message from Wills Park today, and we're going to send it all the way over to Beijing, China. We're not going to let you take our country over. Never going to happen on our watch. This is America. You picked a fight with the wrong people. USA! 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 What you are seeing in Georgia 
is the emergence of a new kind of monster built from the detritus of Trumpism. Horribly deformed, it's an unholy combination of QAnon and unformed internet conspiracy. And the Republican leadership has lost control of their creation and they're fucking terrified. Basically, the extremists and crazies, crazier even than Team Trump, have broken off from the parade and are threatening to take things somewhere far darker than we've ever been. Students of history will recognize this as the moment a movement or ideology capitulates to its most extreme iteration. What we have now is the beginning of a Republican civil war that is pitting Trump Republicans against their conspiratorial selves and a dizzying funhouse mirror reflection of its past history. It's SDS becoming the weatherman in 1969. The Jacobins of the French Revolution and the show trials of Joseph Stalin. Call them the Krakens after the mythic sea monster made famous in Clash of the Titans or more recently from Sidney Powell's threat to release the Krakens in relation to a massive data dump that would prove the existence of fraud and overturn the election. It has now become the war cry for QAnon-style conspiracists who speculate endlessly and without fact across a myriad of private Facebook groups, Twitter, YouTube, even a weird subset of political TikTok. <laughs> Trigger warning. <laughs> I exist. I love Trump. Hey, hey, I'm a vote. Trump 2020, Trump. In this moment, though, the Kraken has become the movement itself and it threatens to seriously damage our democracy. Trump has achieved what our adversaries have been attempting for decades to sow chaos and dissent and undermine the very bedrock of this country free and fair elections. While he may not have succeeded in overturning the result, we have a group now in Georgia who have taken Trump's lies and spun this entirely new and far-reaching conspiracy that undermines people's faith in the system. There are simply so many lies and so much fucking poison floating around, we've obscured the battlefield. Our enemy's enemy has suddenly become our friend, as Wood and Powell's activities could hand the Democrats the majority they've been seeking and damn Trump's legacy. Death threats, physical threats, intimidation. It's too much. It's not right. They've lost the moral high ground to claim that it is. Trump proxies have come out with knives of their own to try and squash the movement that they themselves helped create. Party reptile Newt Gingrich bemoaned Woods' reckless claims even though for weeks Gingrich himself has supported an ever-widening conspiracy theory involving the governor and secretary of state as well as George Soros and a handful of other boogeymen. But when the duo demanded that Republicans skip the election, that was a bridge too far. Get the fuck out of here. In a widely mocked tweet, the former House Speaker wrote, Lynn Wood and Sidney Powell are totally destructive. Every Georgia conservative who cares about America must vote in the runoff. Their don't vote strategy will cripple America. Let me tell you something. Have you lost your freaking mind? With all due respect to a man I have great respect for, again, he has been fighting for freedoms. I mean this. But that comment is about the most irresponsible and even dangerous comment I have heard in weeks. The very freedoms that Wood fights for so vigorously, the ones that need to be defended, they would be wiped out 
if the two Republican candidates lose this race. To try and stop the spread of whatever they've unleashed, the Trump campaign has been on a search and destroy mission across Twitter and conservative media to discredit Linwood and paint him as a Democratic operative sent to sow chaos in Georgia. I need to stop for a moment and think about what I just said. The whole thing is fucking insane. If this was some kind of reality show experiment, it would seem too far-fetched and insane itself. Trump has effectively broken our political system by unleashing a more virulent strain of itself onto the public. And now they can't put the genie back in the bottle. Has the whole world gone crazy? Am I the only one around here who gives a shit about the rules? While all of this is raging, the president continues to storm about the White House like Mad King George. Although the imprimatur, hashtag Diaper Don, is a much better fit after Twitter collectively wondered if Donald Trump wore depends and suffered from incontinence. What's wrong with Dad? He refuses to wear his adult diapers, but he keeps having accidents. This was on top of witnessing his daily tamper tantrums and airings of grievance. I keep waiting for the first appearance of the Festivus poll, and we would finally reach the end of history. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. But as the noise and chaos peaks in these final weeks of the Trump administration, the president is very much on his own, with the exception of fucking Rudy Giuliani and a few diehards. There is no grand strategy other than surviving the news cycle and keeping himself in the ring. For as long as he continues to get up off the mat, Trump can rake in those small dollar donation and fan the flames for his 2024 whisper campaign. Attica! 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 In these final days, the lies, larceny, and abuse of power will only grow as Trump seeks to secure his position for 2024 by continuing to contest the election and raise vast sums of money. This coupled with shameless pardons for his children and perhaps even himself, all the while settling scores new and old, will be the tenor for Donald Trump as he farts and growls his way out of the office. It's Shark Week on OAN and... This is a critical time in the history of our country as democracy is being tested in new and dangerous ways each and every day. To help keep abreast of this situation and understand the law behind Trump's decisions, I reached out to Adam Klasfeld, who has covered the legal beat for over a decade. An editor and senior investigative reporter for Dan Abrams' Law and Crime, Klasfeld has distinguished himself of covering the deluge of post-election lawsuits while separating the truth from fiction, or as his colleague Brad Heath recently tweeted, reporting on bullshit intelligently. Klasfeld never speculates, but rather follows the facts and, more importantly, the documents to report what's really happening in our rotten republic. So let's listen now to that conversation. Let's jump straight into this. You retweeted Brad Heath yesterday, who wrote, Covering bullshit intelligently is maybe the biggest challenge in journalism right now. This one sentence seems to capture the current moment better than most. As you cover these lawsuits that have zero basis in fact, and then you listen to the news conferences where lie upon lie upon lie is just compounded by seriously unhinged individuals, how do you report the news? Well, you stick to the facts. And uh, the reason I retweeted Brad Heath saying that is, one, you can never go wrong by retweeting Brad Heath. He's all over the courts. But 
in particular, these what is a trend that we've seen happening with these lawsuits is that Trump's lawyers will go out of court and they'll say that there's this giant massive fraud. And then they go to court and they admit this is not a fraud case. Rudy Giuliani said that. Uh, Corey Langhofer said that in Arizona. This isn't a slip of the tongue. Uh, those two lawyers use the exact same phrase. And so you can, in order to cover the news, to cover the BS intelligently, is to take the, the, what is being sold to the public, inspect the court docket, look at the files, look at essentially what this looks like when scrutinized by judges, when even sometimes the filings are self-discrediting. Uh, you can look at the Kraken docket of Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood and notice the typos, notice that they got the plaintiff's name wrong. Uh, and you can see very clearly these are filings that appear to be designed more for a PR purpose, more for a misinformation purpose than for putting forward a serious legal argument. Let's take what's going on in front of the, they're trying to get to the Supreme Court a case where the entire basis of the appeal was we want to file another complaint. That's not a big fraud case they're trying to get to the Supreme Court. They're trying to get the Supreme Court, let them do a do-over. So getting the facts, actually letting the public know exactly what is going on underneath all of the rhetoric, underneath all of the lies, is a, is a constant challenge because it requires precision. It requires actually stating things as they are, not as certain members of the Trump campaign claim they are when the cameras are running in a hotel ballroom inside a, uh, you know, outside a Four Seasons landscaping company. It's describing in plain detail what is happening inside the courts. Yeah, but remember, everything with Donald Trump is a PR stunt. I don't know how many times that I have to tell the, this, the world that everything he does is all about him. It's all about trying to maximize a dollar for himself. I mean, yesterday, it was all over the news that he's already beginning to speak to foreign individuals regarding building projects on behalf of the Trump organization. And then all of a sudden, you have boy blunder Jared is off in the Middle East. What do you know about this? Well, you know, in terms of the self-interest in the lawsuit, I'd say take the lens and refract it more broadly. Show what is going on. It's beyond one man or one family's self-interest. There are Trump's campaign has still uh, still fundraises on the idea that there is a massive election fraud that did not happen, that the, to making claims for money that they refuse to tell a judge. So that's happening. But let's take it even more broadly. There are charities. Uh, I just recently did a story on this. A number of charities are backing Trump's campaign, like, for example, the Thomas More Society uh, put out a press release that they were doing that they were filing lawsuits. They announced that they would file lawsuits in a number of states. And indeed, they have filed lawsuits in a number of states uh, and described Giuliani as a partner. 
there was there's a lawsuit where I am right now in Houston, uh, filed by an investor in another charity, True the Vote, who paid $2.5 million uh, to True the Vote on the basis that they would file these lawsuits. Well, they filed four lawsuits and promptly withdrew them, and he wants his money back. So, yeah, a lot of people are trying to uh, fundraise off this. There is a, you know, there are allegations that people are trying to make a buck uh, off of something that at best <laughs> did not come to pass and uh, at worst was a fever dream to begin with. Uh, so, yes, there is beyond even the sort of cynical view of, oh, this is public relations. Well, a lot of people are invested in the most literal sense in everything that has been go going on over the past month. Well, speak of making a buck. Yesterday, you also tweeted, covering the courts for more than a decade, this is the first time that I encountered a federal judge talking about a bribery for pardon scheme in a heavily redacted document or any document whatsoever. What kind of chatter are you hearing off the record about this case and the potential for it to break wide open? Well, as a journalist, I won't talk about any chatter that I would hear off the record if I did hear any chatter off the record. However, uh, that's the nature of Shame off the record. Shame on you. You're on mea culpa. <laughs> you're on mea culpa. No, everything goes here. That's just the nature, that's just the nature of, uh, of the job, uh, not confirming nor denying uh, hearing anything off the record. I, I doubt to be quite serious about it, though. I doubt that anyone has heard anything off the record. And let me tell you why. This has been an investigation that has been ongoing. And this hasn't gotten a lot of uh, coverage. Uh, when this came out, it did not come out out of nowhere. This was the disclosure of an investigation that has been ongoing since August. That's what the judge's ruling said. It said that this was a bribery for pardon investigation uh, that was brought uh, to the court's attention, the chief district judge of the District of DC, in August by the government that was seeking lots of information. And they got permission to get that evidence through the crime fraud exception uh, and overcame attorney-client privilege. Also, the judge found one of these folks was not an attorney. Uh, so we had, through this investigation, it's been ongoing since August. We found out about it because the judge gave a 90-day window uh, that allowed Essentially, she told the government, let uh, let the court know what we can disclose 90 days from now. That's why we're hearing about it. Uh, so whoever is the target of this investigation um, should know that this has been an investigation that is three months in the making and that it involved, according to this order, uh, there were two separate conspiracies. Uh, one was an alleged uh, secret lobbying conspiracy, and in the judge's words, a related bribery for pardon conspiracy. And this is where it's important. The first conspiracy, uh, they had tried to involve, quote, senior White House officials. So senior White House officials were applied by these undisclosed lobbyists uh, in a conspiracy that was related to a bribery for pardon scheme. 
So that's what we know. And I think the risk, the risk that anyone can tell you is just simply speculation. All righty. Well, then speaking of pardons, if you can walk me through your thoughts on whether or not Trump will issue preemptive pardons to his family members and Rudy Giuliani. Finally, do you think he will seek to pardon himself or resign early and have Pence pardon him very much like Ford and Nixon? Because if you can walk me through how you see this playing out and do Bannon, Gates or Manafort also get pardons? So this will fall into the uh I, to the personal policy I just mentioned, I won't speculate, but what I will do is say this, uh, and I'll give my analysis, I'll give the facts. The fact of the matter is there is an active investigation by the Manhattan DA into what we don't know, but we know that Trump himself has been opposing it all the way up to the Supreme Court twice. And if this were to relate to criminal charges, this is an academic discussion because Trump cannot pardon. It's it's a question about whether he can pardon himself. That would be bitterly contested and we'll see court battles over that. But what's absolutely not in dispute is that Trump cannot pardon himself for state crimes. It's a different jurisdiction. So will he pardon himself? Uh, it's It's almost academic because the because the investigation that is almost most dangerous to him right now is absolutely beyond his pardon power. Uh, will he pardon a lot of his associates and cronies? Well, you know, if past is indication of future, well, perhaps we'll, we'll see what happens. You know, he, he's certainly not above it. He certainly has a record of it. But again, personal policy for me as a reporter, longstanding, I won't predict, I'll analyze. And the analysis shows that a lot of this talk about his pardon power, he cannot pardon away District Attorney Cyrus Vance. He, and that is, uh, the, that is something that is mentioned far too seldom in this discussion of his pardon power. So let's break it down then into two parts. We'll talk about, as you said, the federal um, cases that would be pending against him. I agree with you that he cannot pardon himself. Interesting is early on, going back into 2018, when the FBI raided my home, my hotel, my law office, one of the topics that was being discussed between my counsel at the time and Jay Sekulow, who was speaking on behalf and with President Trump, was the concept of the pre-pardon. And something that people don't fully understand is that if, in fact, that this pre-pardon or this preemptive pardon is even possible, one of the, one of the results is that you lose your Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. So now you have to look at Donald Trump as the man. Donald Trump does nothing for anyone that doesn't benefit him. So you have to look to see if he gave a preemptive pardon to somebody, how can that hurt him? And make no bones about this. If he preemptive pardoned his son, Don Jr., or Ivanka, or Jared, or Eric, or any one of these, any one of these fools, how could that possibly come back to haunt him? 
because that's all he's thinking about. He would rather see Ivanka, Don, Eric, Jared, somebody go to prison than him. So he is extremely cautious right now about this whole preemptive pardon issue. But now let's take it to the state level or the city level with um, District Attorney Cy Vance. As you know from, I'm sure, reports, they came and they saw me several times while I was at FCI Otisville. So I am intimately aware of what it is that they're looking at. And what they are looking at, he will be found guilty of. Cy Vance has a dead-to-right case against him, not to mention it's Cy Vance's case that's now sitting before the Supreme Court that will dictate whether or not his tax returns will be released from Wiser, the accounting firm. And you could bet your bottom dollar that there's going to be a ton of money that's going to be owed to the IRS. There's going to be all sorts of tax fraud, um, misrepresentations, bank fraud, and so on. So you're right. That's the part that is not covered by this preemptive pardon. And Cy Vance knows it. And it's, um, it's really a, it's, it's a, a dead shot for him. You know, Adam, do you see Trump and his family getting indicted by the New York AG? You keep trying to get me to make predictions. But what I will say, what I will tell you, Michael, uh, you mentioned that uh, that Cy Vance uh, had spoken to you about the investigation. The AG, Letitia James, mentioned you by name yesterday uh, in responding to Trump's uh, 40 plus minute tirade about, uh, you know, alleging all of these conspiracy theories about the election. He also mentioned the investigation. So it's something that he saw as something that he wanted to discredit. He took the time to try to discredit it. Uh, And A.G. James responded to it. And she said that uh, that She's following the facts and the law. And one of the facts is the facts that sprung out of your investigation. So it's very clear that they're seriously pursuing it. Will they indict? I'm going to throw out my no prediction policy. But I will say that a prosecutor who goes all the way to the Supreme Court twice, like Cyrus Vance has uh, in fighting this for more than a year, it, it, I cannot imagine that he is not serious about pursuing whatever fraud investigation he is pursuing. Uh, and that, uh, and I will leave it at that. In terms of A.G. James, is she serious about pursuing what she is pursuing? Well, she deposed Eric Trump and she defended her investigation yesterday. So I would say they are dead serious about what they are pursuing. Uh, agreed. I totally agree with you. And since, of course... You've made it crystal clear that you don't do predictions. Tell me then instead, what do you know in terms of now that David Correa has pled guilty in that fraud guarantee investigation, do you think Rudy will face indictment or charges relating to his activities with um, Correa and Lev Parnas? And what information have you seen that possibly Correa maybe possesses that would be injurious to Rudy should he become a cooperating witness. 
I don't know if I have made it crystal clear that I don't make predictions, but I will say, <laughs> I will say that uh, David Correa, interestingly enough, did not become a cooperating witness. And this was an interesting thing. So David Correa uh, was one of the folks charged in the fraud guarantee scheme with which fraud guarantee uh, was associated with Rudy Giuliani, according to this report for, by the Wall Street Journal. Uh, so this is still going on. And it uh, and it people have been asking, is Trump going to pardon Rudy Giuliani? I think a Huffington Post reporter asked Rudy Giuliani if he's asked uh, Trump for a pardon, a preemptive pardon. And Rudy Giuliani said something along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing, shove off. Um, <laughs> he did not like the question. Uh, so, but the, the investigation by all accounts into Rudy Giuliani uh, hasn't gone anywhere. It hasn't left. It's still hanging there. Um, and it, the existence uh, of it you know, by by these accounts, by these reports, uh, does put the entire post-election litigation in, in a different sort of light. Well, then, in terms of non-political pardons for Trump's wider network of individuals that have served time or are currently serving time, who have you heard being considered for a Trump pardon? Because I've heard some talk from individuals that, for example, possibly Michael Milliken may be somebody that may be receiving a pardon from Trump. And personally, I think that he should. But then again, I also heard that potentially Ghislaine Maxwell is somebody that Trump is considering. What do you hear coming out in these legal circles, if anything? Well, you know, a lot of eyebrows were raised when Trump said of Ghislaine Maxwell that uh, he wishes her the best. In terms of that, we'll see whether he would actually go so far as to pardon someone accused of grooming the most notorious sex trafficking conspiracy in memory. I think that that would be something that would be so controversial that it would be hard for him even to consider in spite of so many pardons that have ignited such outrage. That would be uh, a bridge that would be very, very far. Uh, in anticipating pardons, well, Roger Stone won't get clemency or, oh, uh, you know, Michael Flynn, even Bill Barr saying that pardon of someone who would directly benefit the president, that that would be a red line. You can't do that, but goes right over that. I would say uh, whenever people think that something is a bridge too far for Trump, he has a way of proving that wrong. Oh, way wrong. I mean, the man has no shame. He has no scruples. He lacks empathy. So there's nothing that I believe that is off the table. And I don't believe anybody is off the table simply because Trump likes the fucking shock factor, right? But he knows that if he even hints that Gisela Maxwell is somebody he's considering on pardoning, what ends up happening? The media goes apeshit, Right. And this is some of the things that we used to do when we used to sit in Trump's office. We used to think, how can we fuck with the media? How can we ensure that tomorrow? We used to take bets with each other. I guarantee you, Trump would tell me, that I could make 
the front page of the New York Times in a headline tomorrow. And he said, oh, yeah, let's let's do it. And what would he do? He would say that he's sending a team to Hawaii in order to investigate the birth certificate and the alleged hospital where Barack Obama was born. And he put that out there. And lo and behold, what happened? Now, by the way, he didn't believe any of this shit. So I want people to understand that he doesn't know, nor does he care whether or not Barack Obama was born in Hawaii. I apologize. He knows that he was born, but he doesn't care about the truth onto it because he knew it would make a front page headline across the board. And the following day with this childish, you know, smirk on his face, like, you know, <laughs> like, like a, a child that just took a piece of candy from the candy store. Right. And got away with it. That was the smirk on his face. And he knows how to play with the media and the media falls for it time and time again. But then let's let's jump to a different area. On Tuesday, Bill Barr came out and he said that he has seen no instance of widespread fraud that would change the outcome of the 2020 election. What game do you think that Barr is playing here in not backing Trump's claim? Or was he simply following the law for a change? And it seems all the more remarkable to me. Well, it seems that when something is a bridge too far for Bill Barr, uh, you know, I think he's seeing the writing on the wall here. That we, I remember when the Mueller report was released and there was that notorious press conference where he gave a very abbreviated and misleading version of what the report said. What the report said was that there, uh, that, they could not prove coordination uh, in the special counsel's office in a way that would uh, that would show that uh, that there was an, a criminal offense on that. Though they showed that Russia wanted Trump to win, and the Trump campaign uh, ex was excited about that help. That's what he said in that. And but so. Bill Barr, as an attorney general, has had a record of being very misleading about these things. I think that he knows if he were to play along with the fiction that there is a mass voter fraud, he would eventually have to provide evidence and that none of that exists. It's one thing to stand in front of a Four Seasons landscaping company and say uh, that there's a massive fraud. And there's another thing to go in front of a judge. Rudy Giuliani recognizes that. He told a federal judge, this is not a fraud case. And Bill Barr may, I can't speak to his motivation. He may be looking at his legacy. He may be looking at uh, the well-established record of him doing things that are favorable to the Trump administration, whether it's uh, whether it's his actions regarding Michael Flynn, whether it's the things that caused AUSAs to uh, to quit in larger numbers than we've seen in defiance of main justice directives, whether he has noticed how history has been recording that and decided to take that final leap. Uh, I, I think that uh, only Bill Barr uh, knows that, but I think the rest of us can also see what's going on. Yeah, because the way I see it, I don't think there's anything that Bill Barr wouldn't shamelessly do 
Though maybe, as you just said, maybe his wife finally slapped him in his fat face and said to him, enough is enough. Something that my wife had done over the years that unfortunately I didn't listen to. But when I say that there's nothing that this shameless fool who once, as you stated, had such a fabulous reputation, has basically took a shit on his resume and what he'll do after this, God knows, even to the point of remanding me back to prison the second time, simply because I refused to, to sign a document or alleging that I refused to sign a document that would have prohibited me from putting out my book, thus violating my First Amendment constitutional rights. And nobody can tell me that Bill Barr didn't know about it, right? Because he is running the Justice Department, you know? So I'm, I'm just, I'm blown, I'm just, personally, I'm blown away by Bill Barr, and I'm not really sure what the guy is up to. Maybe he's seen the writing on the wall. Maybe he hasn't. I, I don't know. You're right. Only Bill Barr can possibly tell us. But on November 27th, you tweeted, Twitter labeling packs of lies as, in quotes, disputed, seems worse than taking no action at all. It denies that observable reality can exist, which is part of the sentiment that got us here. Describe for me what you meant here. Were you saying that by labeling the tweet disputed, it left room for the possibility that the lies being peddled had some actual basis in fact? Absolutely. I mean, disputed means oh, someone disputed it. People dispute that the world is round. Uh, people dispute the great atrocities of history, mass killings, genocides. They dispute that. Uh, those disputes are obscene. Uh, there are certain things that uh, that don't that, that the word dispute uh, really is. Uh, is a dodge and a really sinister one. Uh, I don't want to beat up on Twitter too much uh, because they have, I feel, unlike many other media companies, really taken some of their ethical responsibilities more seriously. However, what separates uh, journalism from social media currently uh, is journalists do feel an obligation toward the truth. No serious journalist would ever call a pack of lies disputed because someone raises a dispute. That's not how it works. There is observable reality. And the second that you question that, uh, you are giving voice and, and sucker to an idea that is odious, that allows people to deny reality. And in this particular case, deny realities meant to overturn the democratic idea, uh, to destabilize the very concept of observable reality in elections and in democracies. And that is why uh, I feel, for example, you have uh, Mark Zuckerberg saying that uh, we don't want to be arbiters of truth. Well, we're sorry, social media companies, Social media companies have a power that they must, whether they like it or not, uh, realize that they have a responsibility to truth. Social media companies are not the telephone company. And it's long past time that social media companies have perhaps uh, people with expertise in journalism, uh, maybe even higher editorial divisions. It's 
a concept that was that social media companies resisted. But I think that we are seeing now that you can't wash your hands by saying, oops, there's a dispute. No, there's no dispute. There was no massive fraud in the election. Even if there are disputes in the court, uh, these disputes have been rejected and they don't allege mass fraud. There's no dispute. Right. But but a dispute is not a fact. Right. And in other words, facts don't lie. Right. Um, Numbers don't lie. Right. People do. So I don't think you're trying to say here that all journalists have, let's say, the integrity that you may have. Because I found over the course of my last three years that I have issues with virtually dozens and dozens of journalists, legitimate journalists in the world of journalism who have made up stories and have promoted hearsay information and logged it in as fact. I'm going to have you name names here because I haven't seen that. From where I'm sitting, journalists, as particularly the mainstream journalists, have done a remarkable job uh, under on an un, un, unprecedented campaign of delegitimization of bringing the facts to the people. And sometimes that fact involves what our sources tell us, what has been alleged in a court, and then it plays out. But uh, I, I do not take that view of journalism I, in, during the Trump era. I think that journalism during the Trump era has been, I think the bigger threat to journalism has been that we need people covering our social institutions to let us know what is going on in our democracies. And uh, I think in terms of that, uh, journalism and a free press needs support on a level that, uh, that we really need to appreciate what's going on if we want to protect our democracy. Yeah, because you want some, me to name some names? I'll give you an example. Let me start with the earliest one. I started with the with the Washington Post, I believe, with um, a handful of journalists that asked me a question. Have you ever been to Prague? And I said, I've never been to Prague. I've never been to the Czech Republic. Like, well, we have a source. Your source is the Steele dossier, which personally is garbage, right? You wouldn't wipe your ass with that document because it's worthless. McClatchy continues to make allegations that my cell phone that I snuck in through Germany, right, undetected, or I took a yacht or some private plane and so on, when in fact I was at USC with my son, who with the baseball coach, who testified or had provided information to the FBI that spoke to him and went to see him. But yet McClatchy to this day still believes and they still report that I've been to Prague that my cell phone is pinging off of a cell tower. Let's take that for example. Um, Two things. One, if you haven't been to Prague, you really should go. It's a beautiful city. Um, That's what I've heard. It it is wonderful. Uh, That said, it is also, uh, I would argue, very fair topic, fair play for reporting uh, to know that if a source has told you that information, and you don't know what their sources are, I don't know what their sources are. And even if a piece of information winds up not being true, there was a reason why folks were reporting that. And it was in service of knowing uh, whether or 
not something happens. Like, for example, a lawsuit is filed. A lawsuit was, many lawsuits are being filed alleging many things about our elections. Uh, a lot of them are filled with lies. You do have to report the existence of litigation and what the allegations are making so that you can judge them critically. And I would say, I, I would, even, even if it might be personally, uh, even if it might personally uh, anger a source, it's always important to investigate what people are saying and let the chips fall where they may. You got in front of Congress and you said, I haven't been to Prague. You, you put it out there. And that was a statement under oath and, and, and you cleared the record. Uh, but I would say that a free press must investigate all claims and run them based on their confidence with their sources if they're in the public interest. And I think that's what those uh, news organizations were doing. Well, sadly, what I find is that everybody's trying to be first out of the block with a news story. And most of the time they're getting it wrong because they feel that they're fighting with, as you said, social media bloggers that are willing to put out any information that they want. I mean, I know personally that there are there were journalists that were taking the word of two sources, one being Corey Lewandowski, the other being Dave Bossy. Corey lies, David swears for him. The journalist now feels that they have their back covered and they don't even have the decency at that time to reach out to the person that they're that they're writing about to ask for a comment. So let's just say that you and I will stand in a difference. Um, there are certain journalists that I have the utmost of respect for. They will not fall for the Corey Lewandowski plots, right, that he was doing on behalf of Trump and family. They will not, because what they do is they really want to source the information and make sure it's more than just somebody's word. They want to see documentation in order to back up the allegation. Others don't because they, again, they want to be first to the uh, to the block on it and they want to take the clicks and the credit and so on. But if you can, walk me through the Thanksgiving Day chronology that was surrounding hashtag diaper dawn and Trump's demand that Section 230 of the Internet be eliminated. What happened here and what is Section 230 and how would it affect the Internet law and Trump in general? And finally, like, why did he want it eliminated as it pertains to him? Well, the Section 230 has been called the most important free speech law on the Internet. And there has been a lot of misconceptions around it, particularly among its antagonists who believe that it somehow means that uh, social media companies need to act as though they're the telephone company and that if a for example, a, a neo-Nazi is spreading hatred on Twitter that Twitter cannot, uh, cannot suspend the account of a neo-Nazi. Uh, or if a, someone is putting misinformation on it, they can't take the meek measure of labeling it disputed. That's not what Section 230 does. What Section 230 does is that it eliminates liability for in for any news organization on the internet, there are chat boards on 
the website I work for, Law and Crime. Anyone can go under a story and that they can insert a comment. We are not un, under any discussion board. The person is not liable what some rand, for what some random internet user said. And one of the things that I mentioned recently in repeating the legal analysis of people who actually study this and know the law and designed the law, uh, people like uh, Senator Ron Wyden, who created uh, this law, uh, it basically allows people like President Trump to treat something flagrantly untrue again and again, and you can't sue Twitter for it. If President Trump spreads misinformation about the coronavirus pandemic and people get sick from it, they cannot sue him. They cannot sue, excuse me, they cannot sue Twitter in federal court because they let the president post misinformation or encourage risky behaviors on their website. And that the irony of President Trump's uh, offensive against Section 230 is that if he were ever to succeed, there goes a giant platform that he has relied upon because then Twitter would be in trouble. If they didn't take action against his account, they might face a lawsuit if they if he posted something that was misinformation about a pandemic or misinformation about an election, uh, they might have to take stronger action. They might have to suspend him. They might need to remove him. They might need to take the tweets down and not put a mealy mouth while some people dispute this. That's that's uh, the heart of a lot of the misunderstanding. And I would say uh, uh, misinformation and and disinformation about Section 230. It is claimed to be something it simply is not. Well, last week, you tweeted a story about the prosecution in Steve Bannon's criminal case, objecting to his attorney's withdrawal from the case after Bannon demanded Dr. Fauci's head on a pike. Can you walk me through why they would object to this withdrawal? So they haven't explained yet, but one thing that they did say was they didn't want to delay on this. Uh, the day after, as you said, the day after uh, Steve Bannon did this screed about wanting Dr. Fauci's head on a pike, and by the way, he also said that of FBI Director Ray, uh, that uh, he wanted this sort of medieval justice. He, the next day, for reasons they didn't say, the the his attorneys said, we want out. The prosecutors objected to the attorney's withdrawal saying, we don't want to slow things down and we don't know who the new lawyer will be. So essentially the prosecutors want to know, uh, are they going to kick the can down the road by having Steve Bannon uh, claim, hey, I don't have representation. Uh, they can only withdraw if we if in their view, if they know that it's not going to slow down the process and that this prosecution is going to go forward. Well, you've also written about a post-election surge of death threats against elected officials. From whom are the majority of these threats coming and to whom are they directed at? And what what has there been? Has there been one in particular that has truly frightened officials for its details and its potential? 
I think we're going to learn more and more about the details because a lot of these are have sparked criminal investigations that have not been fully disclosed. There's one that hit the courts very quickly, and that was a case of Ryan uh, Majorana, and he is charged in federal court in Brooklyn for making death threats that were anti-Semitic death threats and, and against uh Senator Chuck Schumer, the the Senate minority leader from New York, and that he was uh, he was someone who believed this uh, lie about a stolen election and the indictment alleged, you know, he quotes him saying uh, stole, that it was stolen, that uh, they took the ballot box away from us. Now the cartridge box referring to his ammunition. He's being charged with transmission of threats. Uh, he's also being charged with being a felon in possession of a weapon and ammunition. So the fact that this threat was coupled with the fact that a felon had some sort of firearm and uh, and ammunition that he was not supposed to have as a registered sex offender and, and uh, a, a registered felon. Uh, so that was probably the most, the one we know in the most detail and the most frightening. Uh, but as you mentioned, this is happening all over the country uh, post the election. Uh, as we know, the Secretary of State of Georgia has said he's gotten death threats. The Secretary of State of Arizona said she has gotten death threats. And as we heard recently with this Dominion conspiracy theory, the one that the voting machines were allegedly switching votes to Trump, but even though the recounts that are paper recounts show this is nonsense and it somehow is the conspiracy theory involves a you know, dead strongman, Hugo Chavez, it, it's, it's ludicrous. But because of this conspiracy theory, we learned that one of their tech people, who was, I believe is in his early 20s, uh, was, received a death threat uh, with an image of a noose. Uh, so it's a very real, uh, and in the details we've seen so far, uh, very frightening consequence of the lies that have been constantly transmitted since the race was called for president-elect Joe Biden. Well, then let's just take a quick look then at the role that Sidney Powell and her rhetoric and lies have now played into this situation as well. What's your opinion on that? Well, I'll go further than an opinion on that. The Dominion voting systems has said flat out that they're considering uh, holding her liable for anything that might happen. They have reported threats against their staff. And this was before the noose incident came out. Uh, so this, they had said that this is becoming a regular feature for their staff. So I wouldn't be surprised if they are, and they also said that they reported it to the authorities. So I would say look to the courts, particularly they are based in Colorado, uh, Will they sue them in Colorado? Will they sue them in Georgia or, or Michigan where, you know, all of these uh, conspiracies have uh, been propagating? I would say that they're, that this is not going away. They have said on a press release that they're considering holding them liable for any bad things that might happen and that they are reporting these incidents to authorities. So I'd say this story isn't over. Keep looking at it. Yeah. 
Well, on December 2nd, you published a story that was entitled How Trump's Legal Challenges of the Election Results Turned into a Tax-Deductible Coup. Can you walk the listeners through who's behind these last gasp lawsuits? And finally, what is Kraken? And how does Sidney Powell think that it's similar to her legal organization? <laughs> well, the Kraken is a mythical uh, octopus-like creature, which uh, I found very, uh, in, in some way, very uh, uh, fitting for what has been going on when you take a look under the hood of these lawsuits. You see uh, dozens of lawsuits, and I think we're past 40. And it creates this impression, wow, there must be a real dispute if you have so many people making so many different allegations. Then you take a look at what's going on, and there are a number of groups. Uh, some of them are 501c3s, which are tax deductible. One I mentioned earlier, True, to, True the Vote, uh, filed four cases, which they promptly withdrew. An investor got angry and wanted his $2.5 million back. Another one was Thomas More Society, which promised a flurry of lawsuits and indeed has, has filed a flurry of lawsuits with their, who they call a partner, Rudy Giuliani. Uh, you have Lynn Wood, who was a plaintiff in a lawsuit in Georgia. Uh, when he was a plaintiff in that lawsuit, which, by the way, a Trump appointed judge dismissed, uh, you had the fact that uh, th that particular case, his attorney said, I'm also retained by the Trump campaign. So the image of an octopus-like beast that is putting its tentacles in courts around the country and releasing the kraken, as she calls it, um, I don't know, I doubt that she meant it in this particular way, but it's oddly fitting that you have a handful of charities filing uh, lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit. Some of them are 501c3s. Sidney Powell claims to have a 501c4, which is not tax deductible. Uh, you have Lynn Wood, who says he has a 501c4. I asked them both for their paperwork, by the way. Neither of them uh, provided. And in the case of Lynn Wood, uh, his attorney claimed that he didn't file the exemption paper for a 501c4. Uh, so I think what is important for journalists watching this and kind of to explain to the public, you sort of need to look at how the systems are working. Uh, Trump is fundraising off of this. The Trump campaign is fundraising off of this. These charities are fundraising on this. They need to, uh, in some cases, have publicly filed paperwork. Uh, I think it's important for journalists to investigate uh, what it looks like beyond the surface, because what appears to be a lot of separate behavior is in many instances, coordinated behavior. That true the vote initiative, uh, it came out in the lawsuit that the Trump campaign, according to this investor, he said upon information and belief, they withdrew these lawsuits uh, in consultation with the Trump campaign. So, uh, how much are some of these charities that we know that one of them is working with Rudy Giuliani as a partner in their own estimation, in their own words, how much of this is coordinated uh, groups that are fundraising off of these uh, election lawsuits? 
and to just get a clearer idea of the system and the mechanics of what's going on. You know, it's funny because when I saw the article and I saw the word Kraken, for some reason I was referring it back to the movie Highlander, right? Um, just an evil force. <laughs> that they, oh, just like, release the crack, release the Kraken. <laughs> who do you think is crazier? I mean, they're, they're both batshit crazy in my opinion, but who do you think is crazier, Sidney Powell or Lynn Wood? And in all, in all honesty, do you believe in the conspiracies? Do you think they believe in the conspiracies that they're peddling? Or is it just business and a cash grab? Well, you know, I'd love to see uh, if they, in fact, have a 501c4 that they're claiming to have. Um, I'd love to see the uh, Form 990s, they're called, that come out, see how much money has been uh, it. it how much they're getting that charities need to disclose uh, their donors. Um, I, well, there are different rules for 501c3s and 501c4s. Do they believe in it? Um, you know, I mean, be a fly on the wall, listen to what they're telling their families, what they're telling their friends. We know that Lynn Wood has a QAnon slogan on his Twitter feed. Um, and that slogan, uh, it, it's um, where we go one, we go all. Um, he's peddling this conspiracy theory in that slogan uh, that there exists a secret cabal to abuse of child sex trafficking involving uh, Democrats. It's, it's all ludicrous. Um, and, uh, and he has it on his Twitter feed and you have the Dominion conspiracy theory. Um, whether they believe it, whether they, whether it gives them an audience, whether it gives them, uh, whether it gives them, you know, donations to these charities that they say they set up. Um, I, you know, I, I'd, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when, when they're talking about it. I mean, you, you can't make. You can't make this shit up. I mean, if this if this was scripted reality television, you couldn't find a writer to write better than the bullshit that's going on right now. But Adam, as we're winding down the hour, I have just another question for you here. Both Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood recently signed a petition seeking martial law in the wake of this election. I mean, again, you can't make this shit up. Can you explain what you believe to be happening in these more extreme MAGA sections of the internet and why both Powell and Wood added their names to it? Why, why are they asking for martial law of all things? I, I believe what's happening is a very dangerous moment in our democracy. Uh, that it's trying to keep hope alive with a group of people who they have told there is a massive conspiracy that involving a cabal of people that it's international and it somehow also involves the people counting elections in various different states and some Republicans and some Democrats. And it also involves uh, all of the courts who say that this is nonsense and it somehow involves all of, uh, you know, every single uh, bureaucrat who does his or her job. Um, the conspiracy goes deep and deep and they're losing. And so they tell them, oh, here's the next thing, martial law. Uh, and they are, these are ideas that are poisonous to a democracy, that if you don't like the way the vote came out, the thing to do is to declare uh, essentially a, you know, 
what is effectively a military coup d'etat. Um, it's also more poisonous when you, as they did, uh, bought an ad in a newspaper to propagate that idea. And that idea gains increasing traction in a large swath of the country. Um, it's a very dangerous moment and a dangerous idea uh, for people who are unable to accept the truth of an election that was not close and was lost by President Trump and was won by President-elect Joe Biden. Right. You think that either of them may face legal rebuke or disbarment? You know, I've so the folks who I've spoken to uh, find that to be pretty unlikely uh, in terms of the broad latitude that lawyers get for out-of-court statements. Um, who knows? There have been there's been one report that uh, that they had and you could see they there was one lawsuit they were claiming that there was no date on a certification letter you look at the exhibit and the date is cut off if someone thought that was altered could there be disciplinary action for misleading a court with a document that claims one thing but is submitted in a way uh to you know that it's something that it will take, uh, you know, whether they claim that's an error. Uh, we'll see what the bar associations do. Um, and it's one of, I think people are really looking for, and I think the heart of that question is people want consequences for what appears to be just meritless lawsuit after meritless lawsuit and toxic rhetoric that has uh, not only instilled distrust in our social institutions, but has led in some cases to death threats, to real injuries. People want there to be consequences for that. Whether they're going to find it, bar associations, who knows? Adam, you know, what drives me crazy, which I don't understand, is you look at the number of lies that the president and his sycophantic followers and um, the Rudy Giuliani's and his own children have spewed over the course of the past four years. And none of those lies pale in comparison to this whole election fraud. And as you stated, the coup d'etat that they're trying to create. I don't understand how off of these lies, Donald Trump is successful in raising $170 million for a fund. That's the, that's the fund that they're using in order to perpetuate these litigations that have no basis. I mean, to me, I'm just, I'm, I'm lost from it. I don't understand who is stupid enough to take their hard-earned dollars, especially during this pandemic, when everybody is tight, except for that one hundredth of the one percent in the country. Everybody's tight right now because nothing is opened and everything is everything is shut down and working at twenty-five percent capacity. Why would you take the money that you have? And why would you give it to somebody like Donald Trump so that he can give it to Rudy Giuliani at 20000 a day or Sidney Powell or Lynn Wood or whoever it might be in order to perpetuate litigation that you know is dead in the water from day one? Well, one thing that I'll say, this is why I did the report that I was telling you about, about the charity apparatus of this, because 
Is it the people who are struggling in a pandemic that are keeping this sustained? The lawsuit that I reported on was a lawsuit over a $2.5 million donation, not uh, someone who is pretty tight on money. We need to see who is bankrolling this. Uh, who want, What do they hope to gain from this litigation? Uh, what is it? Do they actually expect to overturn the election or do they want to create a lie about the election being not, in the words of Trump's own cybersecurity official, the most secure in our history as something other than that so they can the, the, whether or not it's true, the lie is useful in trying to keep people from the ballot, uh, to institute measures that make it harder for people to vote. So there are many reasons why people might financially back this. And I think it's really important for journalists to follow who's funding it, who's bankrolling it, who's supporting it. Uh, a lot of this information will become public. We have a public record that lets us know when the campaign finance forms come out, we will see in great detail uh, who has been donating to Donald Trump for president uh, after the results were in or after November 3rd, in what numbers. Uh, we will see a lot of these nonprofits filing their forms. It might take years, but we'll find out who supported this and we'll find out what their reasons were. Eventually. Well, Adam, let me thank you for joining us today on Mea Culpa. I happen to love law and crime. I read all your articles. I follow you. Um, so thank you for telling the truth. And I will stand on, on my ceremony and tell you that many people in the journalism world do not. Uh, but I do appreciate your truthfulness. And I really do appreciate law and crime. So thank you so much for joining Thank you for us. having me. In these final 48 days of the Trump saga, I can't help but think about William Barr and the bitter kick in the balls he's about to get for his perceived act of disloyalty. For the first time since he joined the Trump administration, Barr has upheld the rule of law, or rather, acknowledged that the law exists by simply refuting that there was evidence of widespread fraud in the 2020 election. Firing William Barr would be more about vengeance than any long-term strategy. But the president is fueled by the need to have the last word and destroy those who contradict his narrative. Never mind that Barr has been Trump's most persistent defender throughout his presidency, rescuing him time and time again from the shit pile of his own making. But that's the thing with Donald Trump. It's never fucking enough. You're always suspect in your loyalty and it's all about what you've done for him yesterday. It's why the man has no real friends or relationships outside the deeply dysfunctional ones he has with his children. It is also fitting into a presidency marked by Trump believing that the levers of government exist for him and him only. I can imagine a pleading Bill Barr shaken and chastised seeking the favor of his boss. Once you are cast out from the warmth and bright lights of Trump's inner circle, to be outside is a cold and foreboding place. You have become his enemy. One cannot have a difference of opinion. You cannot agree or disagree. You are there to serve at his pleasure. The question now is what will Bill Barr do? Will he seek the boss's favor and commit some unforgivable sin? Or will he simply walk away with his reputation destroyed, hoping that history might remember his earlier incarnation? Only time will tell. But for now, revenge is a dish best served cold. And thanks for listening. Maya Culpa is brought to you by LSJ Media and Audio Up. 
in association with Midas Touch, and it's hosted by me, Michael Cohen, produced by Audio Up by Jimmy Jelnick, and executive producer Jared Gustav, and it's edited by Tyler Dawson. Please stay tuned as we focus on the changing political moment and this unprecedented transfer of power. I'll be with you every step of the way. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth. Susan, it's so great to finally be able to get together again. Oh, it sure is. And I really appreciate you picking up the bill. I'm happy to. I've got the extra cash. Since we've all been driving so much more again, I've been using GetUpside, the free gas app that pays you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get paid cash when you buy gas with the GetUpside app? Yes, up to 25 cents a gallon. Cash back every time I buy gas. Does that actually add up to anything? Some months I make 200 to 300 bucks. Wow. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the free GetUpside app now. Download the free GetUpside app now in the App Store or Google Play to save up to 25 cents a gallon when you buy gas. Use promo code FILL for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's up to 50 cents a gallon on your next fill-up. You can cash out anytime to PayPal or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code FILL for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code FILL. Okay, guys, we gotta put our trays up for takeoff. Where's Dad? Oh, he's in the back. We could only get three seats together. Daddy has my pillow. Okay, well, we'll get it later. Can you not put your feet up, please? Why aren't we going? I'm not sure, honey. We must be in line for takeoff. Like security? Well, that was a different line. I have to go. We just sat down. But I have to go. The seatbelt sign's on. Why aren't we moving? Hey, you no kicking. We're just 15th in line for takeoff. Son of a... Don't go there. Go on a real vacation. Go RVing.